0: This is Celebration Church. But it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous and all the glory goes to God. This is Celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together and recite the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe here at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. It's a beautiful Sunday. Big game this afternoon. Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! Got my Packer bow tie on, my Packer socks, mm-hmm. ready to go. Anyway, win or lose, it's been a great year, hasn't it? (laughs) So we shall see what happens today. Also today is Bishop Ed's birthday. (laughs) Happy birthday to Bishop Ed out there. 92 years old today. (laughs) Looks pretty good for an old geezer. This morning, reading from Isaiah, the 49th chapter and the first verse. He says, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. In other words, everybody pay attention. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. Now, this is a very popular pro-life verse. You know, the whole debate on whether or not a fetus is a child of its life or not. Well, if God has a say in it, And I'm pretty sure he does. (laughs) Uh, The answer is yes, it is life. He says, as before I was even born in my mother's room, he spoke my name and called me. It is life. Now, as I was thinking about this, I thought, I wonder what name he calls us. Does he call us knowing what our parents are going to call us and call us by that name? Or does he have a special name? Wouldn't it be amazing, I thought, if. What if every one of us has a name that God has given that's different from any other name in the universe? He can do that. He's that big. He's that smart. And I was thinking, what would it be if he got to heaven and he called you by this name you've never heard before, but yet you knew it was you? And I was thinking about this. All of a sudden, I was reminded of a verse in Revelations, the last book of the Bible. This is the uh, second chapter. And verse 17, it says, Jesus is speaking. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious. And by the way, we're all called to be victorious. Somebody say amen. 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 The Bible says only overcomers get to heaven. He who overcomes. That's why only married people get to heaven. (laughs) But uh, I will give some hidden manna and I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written only on it that only, known only to the one who receives it. I thought, oh my, he does in fact have a name for us that no other has. How cool is that? Now, according to the Christian calendar, we are in the time of epiphany every year. This is the Christian calendar. It starts not on January 1st, but it starts December 1st during the... Uh, uh, month of what we call Advent. It's obviously, the Christian calendar begins with the birth of Christ. Then, after that, and of course, Jesus is very few people know what has happened. He lives in Nazareth, he's 30 years old, and then he begins to reveal himself. He becomes revealed to the world as he starts proclaiming uh, the gospel. And uh, uh, we talk about this idea of, of, an, of, of an epiphany, of a revelation. The definition I read last week of an epiphany is an illuminating discovery. Ah, I could have had a V8, you know. Realization, disclosure, something becomes real. I have had an epiphany. And actually, if you think about it, there's many moments in life where you'll have an epiphany about one thing or the other. Where all of a sudden, something that wasn't clear to you, boom, all of a sudden starts to make sense kind of fun moments that we have in life. But the most important moment you will ever have in your existence is that moment when you have an epiphany of who Jesus is. Up until that point, everything is just kind of noise and not really clear. You see, uh, oftentimes people come to me and say, Pastor, what can I say to my neighbor or to my sister or to my coworker to convince them to come to Christ? And there's nothing really, you, you can't argue people into the kingdom of heaven. It just doesn't work that way. Now, we're supposed to give an answer. So you need to be able to come with an answer. But whether it's a very eloquent, well-thought-out answer or it's just a stumbling around bunch of words, it doesn't matter, whatever your version of your answer is, uh, you need to tell people, and God can use that. But at the end of the day, until the Holy Spirit gives a person this epiphany, this opening, every person who's ever come to Jesus and had a moment of clarity and, and faith knows what I'm talking about. Most of us can remember the day that it happened, exactly where we were, exactly what was going on, when all of a sudden Jesus becomes real to us. We understand the cross. He died on the cross for the sins of the world so that we could have new life. We could experience forgiveness of sins. And all of a sudden, man, it becomes clear And we reach out to God in faith. And Jesus describes the experience as being born again. New life is created in us when we come to God in that way. And we spoke about this epiphany uh, of faith in Jesus. I read to you from the Gospel of John. I'm going to read it again this morning. John's Gospel, it's the 12th chapter and the 28th verse. Jesus is praying to God and he says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, And it says, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. That's pretty cool when you're talking to God in prayer and all of a sudden, boom, voice comes back out and he's talking right back to you. I have never had such an experience, but that would be pretty cool. Well, I'd probably scared to death. But anyway. um, But it says here that the crowd standing there heard it. What did they hear? They said it it was thunder. It was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. We're not even clear if They understood what that was. See, without this epiphany, some might have heard the voice and understood what it says, but for most people, it was just noise. It's just noise. It's just thunder. As we preach the gospel, as I and people all across the world this morning, pastors, preachers, whatever, uh, are speaking, for most of the world, it's mostly noise. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They kind of look and you kind of like a puppy at a new dish. What is this? You know, God bless them. But until they have that epiphany where all of a sudden it becomes real, our prayer, my prayer is always when I come to speak, that God will, by his Holy Spirit, come upon those who are hearing and they would have this moment of epiphany. So thrilled last night, actually last week, speaking on this and then to see how many cards came in of people who said yes. That happened for me today. Someone online who was uh, watching us uh, emailed us and said, that happened for me today. What do I do next? I mean, it's an amazing thing as Jesus makes himself real to people as we just proclaim the good news. So there's a required epiphany of who Jesus is that gives birth to the Christian faith. But then there's a second step, a second epiphany, if you will, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. And that is this, having an epiphany of who you are. Now, an amazing transformation takes place when a person has been born again. There's a transaction that happens. We all are involved in commerce transaction. I give you X amount of dollars, and for that, you give me a product or a service. We all have these trans. Well, an amazing transaction takes place when you come in faith. Jesus has taken upon himself the sins of the world. When you come in faith, God takes everything that's wrong about you and puts it on Jesus and everything that's right about Jesus, he puts it on you. Now, that's something that most people don't quite get. They can get the first part. Okay, Jesus forgives me of my sins. What you don't understand is what has happened to you. Something changes in you. God looks at you in a very different way. You say, well, I don't feel that way. It doesn't matter how you feel. And so, said, well, I don't understand it. That's why you need an epiphany to grasp. Because when you start to see this, it will change your life, I guarantee you. It is very powerful. So we begin with this revelation of who Jesus is, but then we must have this epiphany of who we are in, Jesus. Now, I want to read to you from the uh, first letter of the Corinthians that Paul wrote. You'll see it in the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at the first verse. And uh, for those of you Bible students who like a little inside baseball. This is actually the second letter to the Corinthians because we don't have the first one. We don't know where it is. You say, how do you know that? Because in this letter, Paul refers to the previous letter that he had sent. Aha! So even though this is 1 Corinthians, it's really 2 Corinthians. But uh, there is a 2 Corinthians, which obviously would be third, as you can figure it out. You say, what happened to the first one? We don't know. Who knows? And no one has ever found it. They say, why not? I don't know. My guess is Paul probably didn't get it quite right, and God squished it somewhere. <laughs> you ever not quite get something quite right? I don't know. So anyway, so in First Corinthians, we read Paul introduces himself, who's writing. That's how he always would start. Called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and by our brother Sosthenes is with him. And he's writing to the church of God that is in Corinth. To those who are, and then he starts to describe these people, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now, that word saint stumbles people who were raised in very liturgical churches and stuff like that because they have a special category of people they call saints. But the truth is, um, that was stuff they, quite frankly, just made up later. They think they had a revelation about it. The truth is, in the New Testament, people who are saints are believers. Everyone was a saint. It's not for extra-holy people, which is part of this epiphany I want to give and hope that you start to understand. We are all saints. We are all these incredible people. We often think of someone who's really, really nice. That person's a saint. No, we're all saints. say, well, why don't I feel it? Why don't I see it? Because you've yet to have this epiphany. I pray to God it'll happen for some of you, at least go in that direction today. He calls them saints. He says, together with all those in every place they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus both our Lord and ours, same God, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way, wow, you have been enriched in him, in speech and in knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. That's pretty powerful. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, he will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this sounds like an incredible bunch of people. What does he do? He calls about how he's been called by God, saints of God, full knowledge of who Christ is, been enriched, in, by him in every way. But the thing is, as you keep reading the book of Corinthians, this letter, you start to realize these are some of the most jacked up people that you have ever heard of. These people that we just described in such flowery terms were in fact a complete another disaster. And as you, if, I'm telling you what, if you get discouraged because you're struggling in your faith this morning, man, just read this letter. You will feel good by the time you get to the end. Because you're probably not nearly as jacked up as these people were. They were fighting over petty, stupid stuff. They'd have little groups. Well, I, I just, I like Peter, the apostle. Well, I like Paul. He's a lot better than Peter. And they had all these little cliques and groups. And then there were the spiritual people. Well, I just, I just follow Jesus. <laughs> you always have these people. You know. There's people like that today. I don't have to go to church. I, I, I just... I am Jesus. I can have church out in the woods. No, you can get some ticks out in the woods, but you can't have church. (laughs) Well, I can worship. Well, you can, in fact, worship God, but it's not church. Church is gathering together with people of like faith and worshiping together. Some people don't want to do that. So they had that problem there. They're all jacked up, and Paul's trying to tell them, guys, stop it. They were suing each other in court. Now, this is hugely embarrassing to Paul. Why? He's preaching the gospel to a pagan world and letting them know about the love of God. And not only do we have the love of God coming this way, we share it this way. Jesus said, this is how the whole world will know that you're really my followers, when you love each other. When you love people, particularly people who are different than you, but yet still share the same faith, this is a huge testimony to the world around you. One of the things I love about Celebration Church, we have celebrated this from the beginning. We are not a church where everybody has to think the same about everything. Thank God. Okay? I mean, this is what I think, and some of you are wrong. You know? But I mean, it's just... <laughs> but we're all together, and we all love each other, and we don't, you know, you have to think, oh, well, we have to be baptized exactly the same way. why do you think about this doctrine? <laughs> we just don't get into it. Our main doctrine is what we celebrated together when we said the Apostles' Creed. Those are non-negotiable. Everything else... All right, you got some rigor room in there. God is not the most glorified when you get a bunch of people who think the same way. And this has been part of Christianity the whole time I've been growing up. That's why there's 400,000 churches in America, ladies and gentlemen. 80% of them have 100 people in them or less. Why? That's about as many people as you can get in a room that all think the same. And all agree the same about everything. You can't do it with very many people. When God is glorified, when a bunch of people, God is glorified is when a bunch of people who don't all think the same. We're not all the same economics. Uh, level in life. We're all different colors and different sides of the streets and everything else. Is, you know, there's, there's even bear fans that come here. You know, I mean, and we, we worship God and we celebrate and we love each other. And that is the good news. And this is the kind of thing that Paul is talking about. But in the midst of this message, you got Christians suing each other. This side of the church is taking some of these guys to court because they ripped them off. He owes me $300, $1,500, took him to court. Paul says, are you insane? The whole world's looking at you. We're supposed to be celebrating the love of God, and you're taking each other to court and suing each other? Well, yeah, he owes me money. Well, Paul says, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> just write it off. Just write it off. Why not take the loss? That's what he says. Why not just take the loss? Now, I'm messing with some people. Because I know Christians who still sue each other to this very day. Over $1,000 or $10,000, whatever. Stop it, he says. They would get together and take communion, and they were taking it lightly and irreverently. Now, you remember the Lord's Supper. The reason they call it the Lord's Supper is because it was actually a supper, it was the Passover feast, and they all sat around the table and they ate together. And then Jesus celebrated this idea of the, uh, the, the bread being his body, the wine being his blood and talked about that. So when the early church got together, they also got together as a supper. This is what they did. And they'd get together was basically a potluck, you know. Now, when I became a Christian, I was a hippie. The first church potluck I went to was different than I thought it was going to be. Uh, <laughs> You got to define pot when you're a hippie. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a what? We're doing what? I had to get used to the church lingo, you know. There was no pot there. I didn't understand what was going on. So. It was basically a pot. Like they all got together, and they're all, you know, eating. And, and some people are pigging out, and some people weren't getting enough food because some people, I took all the food. And there's, some of the guys are going through the line. There's nothing left. You know, they're drinking wine. Some of them are getting hammered. Paul said, you're getting drunk. Are you kidding? Which, by the way, you know, at least Christians, oh, no, they didn't drink wine. It was grape juice. Really? How much grape juice you got to drink to get hammered? I think you'd pop like a tick before that would happen, you know? For heavens' <laughs> Of course it was wine. They're getting drunk. And Paul was mad as a hornet. And he warned them. He says, not only are you not getting the blessing of communion, you're drinking death and damnation to yourself. He says, why some of you guys are sick and why some of you even died. From this moment on, that's why we have a little itty bitty slice of bread (laughs) and an itty bitty little drink. Nobody wants damnation coming on them. So they stopped the party part of it and the big dinner part of it and just made it just a very serious thing, which Paul should say. That's why it changed. And for the past 2,000 years, we still celebrate with a very small little thing because up in that point, they weren't taken seriously at all. These guys are a disaster. And you think that isn't bad enough. They're involved in sexual sins of all kinds enough to make a person vomit. They got one guy... He's not clear. The guy's either sleeping with his mother or his stepmother. Either way, bleh! In the church! Paul was furious! He got to go back. Wait a minute, what happened to the saints <laughs> and what wonderful people you are and all this grace and stuff. And the more you read it, you're like, are you kidding me? Another problem that they had. These guys would stop by the uh uh, temple prostitutes. There were brothels everywhere in this pagan culture. And, and, and they're going to p- Christians. Christian men who come and worship God and they'd stop by these brothels. And he talks to them and he's trying to get them to stop. Now, I got to tell you, if I find out you're coming to church and then going to a brothel, I will beat the hell out of you. <laughs> I'm not cussing. It's a theological statement. But he doesn't. It's stunning. He doesn't yell and scream at them. I would be livid. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, verse 19, after discussing this behavior. And that's why you wanted to look at it in context. If you don't look at things in context, you won't understand what they're talking about. That's what he's talking about. And he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? And that you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. His answer to this outrageous behavior is, guys, don't you realize who you are? See, when you start to realize who you are, it changes everything. By the way, a lot of people quote this, you know, your body is a temple of the Holy. That's why you should eat, you know, don't eat Taco Bell and, you know, and, Take vitamins. Make sure you exercise, and all three. Look, you should probably do all those things. But that's not what this is talking about. He's talking about don't be hanging out, going to see hookers after church. Which I say, Amen, Amen, amen. amen. dear Jesus, help us all. These people were a un, not a un, unmitigated disaster. You think you're having issues as a Christian? Look at these guys. This is the most encouraging thing to any pastor. Sometimes I get discouraged because I feel like I'm not doing well, getting people where they need to be. I read this, and I think, you know, I'm doing pretty good. (laughs) Praise the Lord, because my church ain't nearly as jacked up as these people, at least not that I've heard. (laughs) Although I hear some horrible things you don't want to know. His response to it is, don't you realize who you are? We're watching this uh, Netflix thing, you know, series, whatever, I'm not endorsing it because we're not very far and usually something horrible happens and disgusting. You know, they can't just leave a story, right? They've got to throw some kind of nonsense. Who knows? We're not there yet. But it's called The Crown. And it's really a fascinating thing because it's done very uh, accurately, a historical recreation of the life of Queen Elizabeth, who today is like, what, 92 years old, this lady, man. She is still kicking strong. Wow. And uh, so anyway, she becomes queen very young. So it's her life story. And it's really well done and it's fascinating. You know what's really fascinating is uh, look at the characters and then Google and look at the actual people. They look the same. They found people who looked as close as possible to the actual original. It's a fascinating drama. So anyway, we're watching this. And one of the neat things is about it is, is how they communicate about, like, kids, uh, to the kids about how to behave. You see, they would say, you don't have to... You don't have to act a certain way in in order to be a royal, okay? You must act in a certain way because you are a royal. And the difference is massive, and it is true in the Christian faith. When the Bible tells us about what to do and what not to do, the list of things we shouldn't be doing and the struggles that people have with that, you don't do things or not do things because you're trying to get God to like you. We don't operate that way. That's not what this is about. We're supposed to not do or do certain things because of who we are, not because we're trying to earn who we are. And the difference is massive. And here's the thing. If you try to do it to earn something, you will struggle terribly and you won't have much success. When you start to realize, I don't have to live this way. I don't have to be this way. I can walk free. Why? Because I'm a somebody. There's a difference in me. I love watching these movies, you know, these stupid movies, but, (laughs) you know, where there's this guy who's a complete disaster, his life's a disaster, or sometimes it's a girl who her life's a complete disaster, and then they find out, you know, someone comes and says, oh, we just discovered that you're the next one in line for the crown of the queen or king of whatever country. You see these kind of movies, right? And then what happens to them? And by the end, they are absolutely, amazingly transformed. They start walking differently. They start talking differently. They start behaving differently. Not because they're trying to earn a crown, but they do it because they now have a crown. And every time I see a movie like that, I go, oh, that's exactly what should be happening to us. When we start to have an epiphany of who we are, it will change the way that we are. A royal does not behave in a way that is unbecoming. That's a phrase in the English language you don't hear it very often anymore. You'll hear a lot of times in military terms, you know, that that major displayed a conduct unbecoming of an officer and a gentleman. What does that mean? He's doing something he shouldn't be doing. But uh, the, the knock is that it's unbecoming of who he is because of the title that he carries, because of the office that he holds. You don't act that way when you are this kind of a person. If you describe a person's behavior or remarks as unbecoming, you mean that that behavior is shocking or unsuitable for that person. Another way of saying it is that you are better than this. You know, a lot of people I've heard as I talk to people, you know, about some of the struggles they have in life. And a lot of people, they were raised in environments where people, you know, they would make mistakes and their parents would yell at them, say, you're a loser, you're a failure. Grandparents would do, you know, uncles. I mean, there's some, some of y'all have went through this because I've heard these stories. And it's absolutely clear to me why so many people struggle in life and they can't succeed very much in life. Because no matter how hard they succeed or whatever fortune comes their way, whatever blessing God bestows on them, they can't really accept it because in their mind, they keep hearing the voice, I'm a loser, I'm a nobody, I'm a failure, I'm a disappointment. You know, sometimes teachers do this. They did this when I was growing up. If you don't go to college, you'll never amount to anything. If you don't get enough growth, listen to me, all nonsense. You can still do great things even if you suck in school. Now, you shouldn't suck in school, but some of us just came naturally gifted that way, all right? <laughs> but it did not define me. Don't let others define you in a negative way. My brother and I were talking about to some pastors this week, and we were on a conference call with them and stuff like that, and we, we said, you know, <laughs> we were raised in a different environment. Our mother, all our lives taught us, you can do anything because you're a gunger. And we are at least 35 before it dawned on us that didn't really mean anything. But we absolutely believed it. And I have to tell you, even to this day, I am haunted in a wonderful way. Some of you are haunted in a bad way. But I'm haunted in a wonderful way by the voice of my mother. No matter how many times I fail. And I tell you, I know, I'm very aware that I have succeeded far beyond what most people in my life ever thought I would have. And there's days I wanted to quit and give up. And I'm telling you, the voice of my head is, get up. You can do anything because you're a gunger. (laughs) Yes, I'm a gunger. (laughs) And it's a wonderful thing, I'm telling you. And we were sharing with these guys what what a positive attitude. But this is what God is trying to say to all of this, all of us. You can do anything. All things are possible to him who believes. You're more than conquerors. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. An amazing transaction has happened, and you don't see it. You don't see it. We're to act a certain way, not to make God love us, but we act the way we're supposed to because of who we are. And when you get this, it sets you free. Listen to me. Children of God should not be liars, cheaters, haters. We shouldn't be full of unforgiveness, adulterers. We shouldn't be addicted to alcohol, drugs, or pornography. These things should not control our lives. Why? Not to just do it so God will love you, but because you're better than this. You are free. When you start to realize, I don't have to live this way. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be addicted. I don't have to let other things control my life. When this Epiphany happens, and the light goes on. It will change your life. Right. Paul writes to the Ephesian church. He says, "I have not in this is Ephesians chapter one verse sixteen. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers." What's his prayer? Is I keep asking that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and. Revelation, epiphany, opening the eyes, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? In order that you may know the hope to which you have been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So I can't do it, Pastor. I can't. Of course he can. It's hard, but it's because you don't realize what you have. The kind of power we're talking about isn't like a a nine-volt battery. He says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. It's some pretty intense power. You can actually love your neighbor even though he's a big, fat jerk. Is that possible? Yes, it is. Well, I can't. You can't, but he can through you if you'll understand what is going on inside of you. You know what? It's, it's It's like someone... You know, and don't raise your hand because a lot of us can relate to this, you know, where you struggle financially, you know. And let's say you're struggling for 30, 40 years. You can barely balance your checkbook. You're always behind. You're always struggling to get ahead. And then one day, your banker says, you know, did you know you have another account? No, no, I don't, I don't Yeah, there's $5 million in there. What? $5 million all these years I've been struggling, and you're telling me I have an account. Yeah, don't you? Didn't you see your mail? I don't like to open my mail. Well, oh, there's your problem. Are you opening your mail? Are you reading the scriptures? Are you seeing what's there? You have so much. <laughs> I was saying in the first service, my lovely redhead, Debbie, uh, I go to the bank after she passes. And uh, I mean, I I don't know what's going on with her money. You know, it's her money. Uh, You know, I I understood early on, one of the keys to a great marriage clearly defined lines, okay? Her money is her money, and my money is her money. See, (laughs) and and if you understand this, it will set you free, all right? So I don't know whatever she has. That's up to her. So I go there, and I want to close out the account. Check out how much can she have? 1,500 bucks, I don't know. yeah, it's it's 40-some thousand dollars. What? (laughs) You rascal. (laughs) All this money socked away. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. It's like that. I had an epiphany at that moment. (laughs) That little rat. (laughs) <laughs> it's holding out on me. <laughs> but to realize the riches that are available to us, oh, I'm just scratching the surface on this. But I hope we'll start to have this beginning. I hope you'll pray the same prayer that Paul prayed. God, open my eyes. Help me to see who I am. Help me to see what you have for me. Help me to realize the kind of power I can plug into because when you get this, man, it will change you. I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward and get ready to serve communion This morning, Now, remember we just talked about Paul writing to the early church. They're not taking this very seriously and warn them of damnation. Uh, When you take communion, you're eating death because they weren't taking us seriously. Now, we don't have to worry about that because nobody's partying from this. Uh, But he does go on to say, we do need to take this seriously. And he writes these words. He says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And we do this every Sunday. We gather together. And here's a moment. What did you just sing? What did you just hear? Where am I at in this How can I improve myself? Maybe this week you said things you shouldn't have said or done things you... Shouldn't have done or didn't do things you should have done, and you know we struggle. Everybody struggles, but the good news is there's always forgiveness. I want us all bow our heads, and I'm going to pray just a prayer of forgiveness for all of us as we examine ourselves and and put everything in perspective. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, in obedience to the scriptures, we now pause to examine ourselves if we have sinned against you in thought word, something we, we did, maybe by what we've done, maybe by things we left undone. If we've not loved you with our whole heart, if we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves, for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, have mercy on us. Forgive us of our sins and strengthen us in all goodness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to realize who we are. Help us to have an epiphany, to realize that we can delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And his heads are still bowed and stuff. Maybe this morning, this is all fairly new to you, but maybe this morning, maybe for the first time in your life, this isn't just noise, but the lights are going on. You are starting to see. You're starting to realize who Jesus is, who you are, how you need him in your life. If you've never asked God Christ into your life, just as we're all in an attitude of prayer, our heads are bowed, in your own words, just ask Jesus to come into your heart. Ask him to forgive you of your sins so you can start your walk of faith. Amen.